Welcome back, and for some of you, welcome for the first time here. We're so glad you are with us this morning. We are in the middle of a series called Come and See, and we've been looking at invitational culture. We've been looking at what and how do we invest in people around us, how do we care for those around us, and what kind of things do we invite people into. And when we invite them into something, what do they experience? What is their takeaway? What is, how is their world shaken or changed or not at all? So we've kind of been unpacking that and looking at those kind of things for the last two Sundays. Now, if you've missed any of these messages or if you're visiting here with us today, I encourage you to check it out on our app. You can see on our media tab there. You can connect with all our previous messages and see what you have, might have missed. Now, there are some invitations that change our life forever. Whether it is going for lunch with somebody for the first time and getting to know them, whether it's uh, seeing a, a football game, a hockey game, or whether it's coming to church, there is something that often changes us. And when it changes us, we become the biggest uh, boosters of that change. We begin to tell others, other people all about it. We begin to promote it. We begin to p- tell people to encourage it. Like one of my friends who's um, jumped out of an airplane, like an insane person. Now, he didn't just jump. He was attached to somebody. And that somebody was attached to a parachute. And that somebody was, vi- was very well trained to land that person safely. But once he had done this, all I could hear was that everyone has to do this. Everyone has to jump out of the plane. He became that person that now tells everybody they have to jump out of the airplane. We naturally do that. When we experience something significant in our life, we tell everybody about that experience. We want everybody to enjoy it because why wouldn't we? Why would we hide something that has been so transformational or important to all of us. And once we experience something, we move into an area of growing in that experience. And last week I talked a little bit about feeding ourselves, beginning to investigate or ask questions. In our context, if you were invited to church, if you're invited to experience this environment, and there was something helpful that you heard, or something that maybe challenged your worldview, or something that maybe um, poke the right button in you. You would begin to ask questions. You would begin to wrestle with those things. And we said last week that we're all in different stages of life. We're all in different stages of searching. But every stage is important. But every stage leads to another stage. And when we feed ourselves, we grow. And when we grow, our worldview expands. Our faith begins to take a new look, a new shape, because we were meant to mature. We were always meant to grow in our faith, and we were always meant to grow in our life. Last week, I talked a little bit that our physical bodies naturally grow. We can't stop that. We try. There's creams and pills you can buy, I suppose, but we naturally mature and we age. And I suggested that our spirit that God has given us is also meant to mature and grow. But it's not as evident sometimes with our spirit. And sometimes we can plateau and be comfortable where we are. And then we get to have this yearning in our life because our spirit was always meant to grow. And we were always meant to feed it. So speaking of feeding and growing, um, in my mid-20s, I had two boys already. I still have them. (laughs) Keep feeding them so they're around. Um, And I remember when they were really little, they would often cuddle up with me and we would do Mighty Machines. We would watch Mighty Machines. If you don't know about Mighty Machines, you don't know. But if you know, you know. 
And it's a fun experience. We would cuddle and we'd be just hanging out and just chilling and watching. And I kind of had this bad habit when I was younger. In my 20s, I could eat anything, as much of anything, at any time of the day, and it just didn't affect me. I was active, I played sports, I was running around, I was a youth pastor, I was staying up at all hours of the night, and so I could eat whatever I want. Four or five Big Macs at night, no problem. Pop, no problem. Didn't affect me. But as my body began to mature, not my spirit, I, uh, I remember this time of cuddling with my boys, watching the Mighty Machines, and one of them just touching my belly, as little kids do, and saying, oh, Dad, your belly is so squishy and soft. <laughs> I remember pausing. Now, I don't know, I have friends that often grab my arm or whatever, or like slap you on the shoulder, and I don't know if you're like me, but the natural reaction is to kind of flex. And I remember <laughs> as he's touching my belly, flexing, but it's not working. And I was thinking, what happened to me? Was it the two cheeseburgers with extra mayonnaise at midnight? What could possibly be the problem? What happened to my metabolism? Why am I changing like this? And you go through uh, stages of grief, of course. There's denial. It's not that bad. Dad bod is kind of sexy and cool. This is okay. Then there's anger. This isn't right. Something's off. McDonald's lied to me. I'm not loving this. And then there's bargaining. Okay, okay, I won't eat Big Macs at midnight anymore. 9 p.m. is the cutoff for sure. You know, and depression, um, I will never be the same, what is happening to me, and of course, acceptance. Well, this is my life now. But of course, if we come to a place, and whatever it is for you, that bothers you, we often look into ways of changing it. If we find something that bothers us inside, we want to find a way that would change us. And for me, I said, okay, well, I'm going to change how I, my diet, that's probably important, and I'm maybe going to exercise a little bit. Maybe I'm going to start running because, and I'm not a doctor and I'm not a health um, specialist, but, it, you know, calories in, I need to do something to have calories out. It's, it's pretty simple formula. Like, all I have to do is to remember that whatever I put in, I have to put out. Whatever I put in, I have to put out. And I was thinking about this process in my own life, how that changed, how, that I, how I realized I was getting a little squishy, and how I realized that I had to do something about that. And I was thinking, that, well, what does that mean for my spiritual life? If this is true for my physical body, what does it mean for calories in and calories out? What does it mean for my spiritual feeding when I'm being fed? What am I doing to, to, uh, to give away what I'm learning? What am I doing to feed others? Now, if you're curiously seeking, if you're a skeptic, if you're here and you're trying to figure this out, this is perfect. That's what's taking calories in. You're, you're trying to expand your worldview. You're trying to ask the right questions. You're wrestling with the why questions of life, and these are really good and important. Or maybe you're searching assertively, and, and you're thinking, okay, I, I believe maybe this faith thing. I'm not quite sure where it all fits, but I kind of get it, and I kind of think I want to know more about it. So I want to take more in. What does that look like for me? And we talked about a spiritual uh, journey pathway that we have here at Circle. Now, it's a, it's a circle, as you can see, with seven stages, and they kind of all feed into each other. Now, they're not perfect. They're pretty good, but they're not perfect. And what we're doing here is we're trying to identify where we may be in our journey. And each stage is so important and so crucial and needed. But each stage builds on the next stage. And in each stage, we take something in. 
Something that we experience in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh stage, there's something that's being put into us. There are spiritual calories that are going into us. So what do we do with them? You see, for us to progress in the spiritual pathway, there's something that we need to do so we're able to grow. Calories in, calories out. I think sometimes if we're skeptic or if we're, if we're just beginning this journey, a lot of us, what we do is we say, okay, well, maybe I'll attend church a little bit. Maybe I'll just come to church more often. And that's really good. Calories in. Or maybe I'll listen to a podcast or I'll read a helpful book. Or maybe I'll engage in something that will help me uh, grow in my worldview. Again, this is really good. But what if there's more to this than just that? What if for us to take this journey that we're all on, to take it seriously, what if there's another step that we need to do? And I want to introduce you to a principle that can change everything for you. A principle that has been changing everything for me. It's a principle that takes us through this journey and continues to cycle us in and out, in and out, over and over and over. And it's found, this principle is found in the New Testament. It's found in this letter. Now, the New Testament is the second part of the Bible. This is where Jesus comes on the scene. This is where we are introduced to his work and his teachings and the event that changed the world forever, which is his death and then resurrection. And in this uh, second part of the Bible, in the New Testament, there's a letter called Philippians. Now, Apostle Paul writes this letter. And why this letter is so significant, actually, because its context is really interesting. Because Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter, is actually in prison at the time. He's actually been jailed for trying to spread the good news of Jesus. He's jailed for changing the ways the Roman Empire looked at faith, looked at gods, looked at way of life. And his way of reaching out, his way of sharing it, has created enough disturbance that he's arrested. But what we know about this letter is that he's, he's writing it to a, uh, this new church that he actually had planted. So he's planted this church, and now he's in prison, and he's writing to them. And we're gonna, I'm just going to jump in the middle of this passage, start in the middle, and then kind of work, work our way to the front and then to the back again. So you'll have to be patient with me a little bit. But I want to join in this, uh, this one part in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, and Paul writes this. He says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. For it is God who works in you. Now, this verse is not a thing Paul is telling you to do. This verse is the motivation for the thing Paul is about to tell them to do. For it is God who works in you. So think about that for just a minute. Each and every one of us has a worldview. Each and every one of us have something we believe, something we hold on to, something we reject, something we ignore, and something we uh, talk loudly about. We all have something that drives us, and because of that, because of that drive, we try to make sense of who we are. And the motivation in what Paul is saying is that God is working in you in order to fulfill his good purposes. What we know, whether we are seasoned Christians or skeptics or new, what we see here right away is that Paul is addressing is that, is that God's purposes are good. So whatever we wherever we find ourselves in the journey of life, wherever we find ourselves in the wrestling of life, wherever we find ourselves to be at today, Paul begins with assuring us that God's purpose is good. And I know it's a hard thing to hear for some of us because some of our life experiences might not be good right now. 
may not be as easy as it sounds. And Paul knows this, and we're going to unpack this a little bit, but he starts with this part, and he says, God's purposes are good. Paul is saying the motivation of what I'm going to teach you is that God who works in you is wanting you to get it right, is wanting you to know the good purposes he has for you. And so he goes back, so we're just going to jump through the verse before this, but what God actually wants us to do is in the verse before the verse we just read. But I think it's important for us to start in the part that God is working in you, that spiritual yearning that we talked about, that spiritual stage and growing that wants to grow and progress through the stages is God's work in you, and his purposes are good. So chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation. It's a hard thing to hear. A lot of people wrestle with this, with this comment that Paul makes, and what does that mean for us? But what he's saying here is continue to do this as if it really matters in your life. Continue to search, look, ask, read. Continue to build your worldview and understanding of who God is. Continue to ask the why questions. There is a task involved for you to do. In other words, he's saying, hey, you want to know the game plan for changing how, you're, how you work spiritually, how you're supposed to progress, what are you supposed to do with the stage you're at, what kind of spiritual food you're eating right now? Continue to do this. You need to work out spiritually. You need to put your faith into practice. You need to apply and understand why you have the worldview that you have. My family were new Canadians to Canada many years ago in the 90s, and I'm always surprised coming from a country that had very different legal system. I'm very surprised how many of us Canadians today don't fully embrace or understand where our laws and worldviews come from. In fact, when we hear about injustices, we rightly get upset and frustrated when we see uh, so much human right abuses around the world or within our own country. And, and we protest and we get upset. We say, isn't it the most self-evident thing ever? How can people treat people like this? Why wouldn't people want equality and freedom? Why wouldn't people just obey the basic human rights? Isn't this all self-evident? Now, before I continue and unpack this a little bit, I want to say that as a Christian, I believe that all people around the world are made in the image of God. So there's no greater in God's kingdom. There's no race or sex that divides us. Therefore, we all people, every person has echoes and DNA that longs for the world to be better. That is the DNA imparted to us from God. That is the fingerprint of God in our lives. That is who we are. So we all have those longing for something better, something just, something more merciful. That said, our worldviews are deeply shaped by faith. And thinking that is established based on our beliefs or our lack of beliefs. And we all have some beliefs. Even somebody who says, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in anything, and you might be here. I'm so glad you're here with us today. This is a safe place for you. But even when you don't believe in God, that is your belief system. That is a worldview. That is a system that you operate out of. And so, for example, when we take a look at our laws here in Canada, when we look at the Western laws specifically, those of human rights, human dignity, 
We need to look back in history and be good historians and, and be very accurate and understand that these laws come from Christian tradition. That they are Christian perspective. That they, they, are, they are Christian worldview. Now, they weren't always practiced perfectly. They still needed imperfect people as agents of delivering that worldview. But, it is, but our Western thinking and our Western laws are largely shaped by Christian thought. Whether you're a skeptic here or a seasoned believer, I would encourage you to consider this, that the way we view human dignity is based on Christian thinking. And I can say that because coming from a country where it had different laws and where human dignity was treated very differently, I can say it's not self-evident. Where a worldview of a country is run by an ideology that says, toe the line or else, if you toe the line, you're just fine, but if you step just one foot outside of it and you're sent to a gulag or a working labor camp or disappear in jail, your understanding of human dignity and where that worldview comes from is changed radically. Our laws are shaped because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this world. An event happened that transformed his followers, his students, his disciples thinking forever. And he began an upside-down revolution that changed the world. So Paul, in his, while he's in prison for challenging Rome, for challenging their laws, for challenging their way of viewing things, while he's in prison, is writing to this church and saying, and saying to this early church that you need to work out your faith, young church. You need to put your faith in practice. You need to develop a habit that will align you to a worldview of justice, of hope, of love. Because if we actually want to get it right in life, because life is complicated, and if we actually want to sort it out because life is chaotic and we want to make it clear, you need to put what has been put into you out. You need to take the calories, the spiritual calories that have been put into you and put them out. See, sometimes I, I, I fear that so many of us or some of us uh, feel that change will happen based on someone else's expense. What I mean by this is like by osmosis. If I just come to church, if I just be part of the right movements or the right environments, if I just listen enough, then I will change. But friends, that's just calories in. Paul is saying to this young church, you need to work it out. You actually have to become, you have to do this. You might actually have to radically forgive someone, care for someone, love someone, invite someone. You might have to take steps where your values and hopes begin to align because you're beginning to work out your faith. You need to put your faith into practice. You need, to, you need more time in working out, and you don't need any more calories in. You are needing more calories out because your calories in are making you spiritually squishy. Okay, let's read the whole passage together now. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For... And what he means here, because it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good, pur uh, his good purposes. 
In other words, he's saying you have to work out what God is working into you. You have to work out what has been given to you. You have to live this out. And that's how you change spiritually. That's how you grow. That's how you progress through each stage, which is so important. It's not about racing from stage one to stage seven. It's about working out what's been worked into you at each individual stage. This is how you progress, and this is how you act maturely. Last week I mentioned how silly it would be if we'd still be drinking milk while we're adults, like out of baby sippy cup kind of thing. That idea that we're not, and Paul was, or the writer of Hebrews was challenging the people saying you're not eating solid food yet, you're stuck, you plateaued, you've been in a stage for too long. And Paul here is doubling down on this and he's saying, do not be satisfied with milk. Do not be satisfied in just taking the calories in. Begin to work them out. Now, again, the spiritual pathway that we have, if it comes up again here, the idea isn't that you just race through. The idea is that your worldview begins to shape because you're asking the why questions through each stage. And as you're being worked into, as justice, hope, love, mercy become real, as you begin to develop depth in each part of the stage and understanding, you begin to grow. See, the level seven, the final one or whatever it seems because it's the highest number, although as you can see, it's not the final stage. The level seven is not an ivory tower. It is a lifestyle of helping others. It is a lifestyle of inviting and journeying with people so they can encounter a hope that will transform their lives forever. But I would add to that that each and every one of those stages is a stage of working out what's been worked into you by giving back what has been given to you, by walking alongside somebody, and you may be just a step ahead, and you're stumbling, but you walk with them. It's not enough to just let God work in. It's not enough to just sit and not use what you have been learning. This is why our vision here at Circle is such a crucial thing that we need to be so clear about. We are committed not to become a club for insiders. We are unwaveringly, unapologetically are for our community, for the city, for our place in Saskatchewan, for people to hear the message of hope of Jesus. We want people to know what God has called them to. We are for people that have been told they're disqualified, unwanted, not good enough, too sinful, too broken, to whatever fill in the blank for you. And we are committed to be a place where each person will be welcome. Because Jesus came and he said, I have not, or I have come not to condemn the world, but to save it. I have come not to condemn the world, but to save it. How, must, how many of us need that reminder today that God is not here to condemn you, not here to discourage you, not here to judge you, but to save you? And in order to do that, we must work out what he's been working into us. How many of us know that a person next to us in the pew may need to hear this message right now? And it has been worked into you and you have found yourself in this osmosis of knowing that God is good and all that person needs is for you to reach out and tell them that God has come to save you and that he loves you. 
Friends, if you're a seasoned churchgoer here, Paul is saying deep, a deep faith is not one that, or sorry, a deep faith is one that is exercised. It is one that, that, that journeys along other people, one that invites, commits, cares, forgives, moves with people in their journey. Because we all know that life is complicated and hard and chaotic, and we all just want to get it right. Look, if you want to grow, if you want to get deeper, well, deeper is not collecting knowledge. That's not depth. We often confuse knowing lots of things for depth. We often confuse having the right answers or the right verses to quote at the right time as depth. All those things are good, and as last week I said, those verses are only there for us to live them out. Learning and studying is, of course, good, but by itself, it's just taking calories in. By itself, knowledge is just getting spiritually fat. Depth is a collection of applied knowledge and experiences. Reading about God doesn't make you deep, just like sitting in a garage and staring at a car doesn't make you a mechanic. It's applying what you see and hear. This is why Jesus said, come and see. He didn't just say, see. There's an action tied to his call. There's an action that is tied to a desire to change. There is a need that is met when we wrestle with the why questions of life. Here's my fear, and that is that we, that we can become experienced collectors. That we can become people who collect knowledge, collect experiences. We, we participate, we maybe even sit in lots of different spiritual environments, but we don't actually engage with them. We let someone else do the inviting, we let someone else do the work because we are working things in, but we're not working things out. We sometimes wrongly believe that this is the job of pastors. Faith, friends, is something that grows through use and exercise. Faith is something that grows through use and exercise. I promise you, if you volunteer with the, in the kids' department and you have to care for a group of kids, your faith will grow. I promise you, if you bring a friend to Alpha, one of our environments, for questions and asking the big why questions of life, and where they, where they have a place to sit and eat and listen and journey with them, you will grow. I promise you, if you invite your friend to a church, and they're not a church person, and they actually show up, your value system will begin to change as you see faith, church, and all that we say through their eyes. And you begin to evaluate if we're inviting, if we're caring, if we're actually helpful and resourceful, and if we actually care for people. Faith is something that grows through use and exercise. Come and see, Jesus said. Let's continue reading. Paul writes to this church while he's in prison, do everything without grumbling or arguing so, you, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God with a fault in the warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the, wor to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Like, actually do this cheerfully so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in the warped and crooked generation. I love that he uses that phrase because every generation thinks their generation is warped and crooked, right? Like, 
we look back at every generation, every generation is like, ah, oh, things are getting worse. Or there's nothing new under the sun, really. And it doesn't take long for us to look around and see the darkness and see the things that people just need light and love and care. And this is why we carry the hope of Jesus. And so he says this, look, look around you. Yeah, you feel as dark. And so shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. The word of life is Jesus. It is the good news of the event of death and resurrection. The death was arrested that we could have life. So you can hold on to this grace and this mercy. You can have hope and justice and mercy and love that is offered to all people. And then Paul says, and I will be able to boast in that day that all my work was not in vain because everything I've put into you, you are now putting out. There's a whole world of people searching for hope, searching for light and grace. There's a whole world of people that's just hoping to make sense of this difficult life and say, there's got to be more than this. And they're searching for something that so many of us have stumbled into. And Paul is saying, work that out. There's a whole world of people looking for light each day. And Paul says you have to exercise that faith, that belief, because there's a whole world looking for it. So here's my challenge. Here are some specific things I'm going to ask you to consider or to maybe do. And now I know you're all in different stages, and if you're new with us, and if you're just checking things out, welcome, consider this. I'd invite you to come. We'll have a team up front here to ask questions about it. Or you can come to Information Desk if you want to know more about our environments, where you can grow, where you can work things in so that you can work them out. But I want to challenge you. There's a, there's a connection card in your pew in front of you. There's a little card, and you can fill it out. There's pens available. You can share pens can get to know the person next to you by saying, hey, do you, would you like my pen? I see you're now writing things down. No, don't, don't say that. But there's some challenges here, and I'd encourage you to write things down as, as I list them if there's one that resonates with you. But I want to challenge you, for some of you, to begin serving for the first time. Because not only will you give yourself, uh, not only will you give of yourself, your faith and worldview will grow as you care for people here at Circle. Because when you serve, when you work shoulder to shoulder, when you work and give of yourself in something, you get to know people and see other sides of their story. The other day I was just reading uh, in the news on my phone, and there was a, a kid that got caught for stealing $300 worth of candy. And when you read that, you're like, ah, this kid, good thing they caught him. What a terrible kid. That's a lot of candy. But then you hear the other side of the story, why he stole this candy, and you find out that he stole, it, he, he stole it to sell it so that he could pay for his mom's medical bills. That story changes very quickly. When you serve and volunteer, you get to hear all sides of people's story, and it changes you. This is why Jesus invited us to wash people's feet. Some of you need to invite someone to church. I think I, I would encourage all of us to do this. But some of you know this is something that's nagging at you that you should have been doing for a while because you are beginning to tune into who, who lives around you. You're beginning to challenge your worldview. You begin to ask the why questions. And something here in this environment or an alpha environment or a mom's circle environment, something in the or kids' uh, 
environment. Some of these things are beginning to say, this is really helping me, and you need to invite somebody because you want to help somebody get it right. You want to help somebody see the light in the darkness. You want to help somebody have relief or some time just to have adult conversations. Some of you need to share what you're learning with someone. Pass on what God's been doing in your life because you've been taking a lot of calories in and it's time to have calories out. And some of you just need to be aware to be kind and generous. And it starts in the parking lot when you're leaving and the person cuts you off and you start thinking, man, that person was in church? Some of us just need to start being kind and generous. And you can look at what you have and how others do not have it. And you begin to think of why do I have the things that I have and others don't have the things I have. And you begin to think of the generous God who has given us so richly and so freely. And I need to give back. Friends, we need to take all the calories that we've been taking in and begin to take them out so we don't become spiritually squishy. So we can be lean and in that find God's work in us and around us. And in that help others see the light, have hope, experience justice or dignity or restoration for the first time. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for how generously you give to us. We thank you that not only did you teach us that you came into this world in Jesus and lived out a perfect life and set an example for us and set a hope before us and that through your resurrection we can have life. Help us to take all that we learn from you and share with others. Help us to journey with other people no matter what stage of life we're in. Help us to work out what you have been working into us. Praise in your name. Amen. Please don't forget to visit our uh, families who dedicated their children to this journey of life and faith. Thank you for joining us. Next week, I'm going to conclude this series of Come and See. Invite a friend. Go in peace.